Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to the Circling the Bases podcast, proudly presented by NBC Sports Edge. My name is DJ Short, and with me here once again is Drew Silva. And with this episode, we are going to talk Dynasty Baseball. Honestly, my my favorite way to play, increasingly. And as I started to think about this episode and plan it out, I, I actually reached out to someone I trade with all the time in Dynasty Leagues, and uh, that's Jesse Roach from Baseball Prospectus. Jesse, thanks for taking the time to come on here. Definitely excited to have you on board. Thanks for having me. It's uh, great to talk with a consistent trade partner, one of the more active, you know, managers I think in most expert leagues that I've been in. Um, it's just it's great to be on, and I'm always excited to talk about dynasty baseball. Absolutely, and I think that is relevant, especially right now, because when you think about just the way that the year tends to flow with like fantasy baseball, if you're in a redraft league, by the time you get into August, there's only like two, three, four managers who are really active and the rest of the folks kind of drop off and maybe they're focusing on their fantasy football team. So to me, like that's where the attraction to me uh, came with Dynasty because the wheels are always churning. And even though you're not competing this year necessarily, you might be okay with that because you're stocking up on draft picks for the next year, prospects. It's just so much more engaging all year long. I think that's the big advantage to that format. Oh, yeah, I agree. I mean, there's nothing worse than being near the bottom of the standings and redraft. Just, I mean, sometimes it's just bad luck. I mean, this year there's been a boatload of injuries all across the league, and you could just be just waylaid. Your team could just be in the sewer because of these injuries. There's only so much you can make up through good drafting and through waivers and free agency and and even trading in some redraft leagues i mean i know i'm in a couple that don't allow trading uh it's just devastating to be near the bottom or even in the middle and knowing that it's the the path to the top or near the top is so difficult or basically impossible at this point in the year but in dynasty you know if you're in that position you can already be maneuvering you could have already been maneuvering for months uh to position yourself to win to next year, the year after, uh, and you know, build juggernauts. And that's the great thing about Dynasty is it does keep owners engaged throughout the season. And sort of from like a, a macro standpoint of the business, I mean, fantasy baseball was the first thing, like rotisserie league baseball, those guys that 
started it in, at a rotisserie chicken shop. Like if you've watched that ESPN 30 for 30, it was about baseball. Football is bigger than fantasy baseball now. And so baseball has kind of become this more hardcore fantasy sport. And if you're going to go hardcore with it, you might as well do it in a dynasty format where you like you have prospects that you know are, aren't going to help you this year, might not even help you next year, but you're like planning for the future and you're acting as like a real GM. Um, it's like what the OOT out of the park baseball kind of thing is, and um, playing MLB the Show growing up or like MVP Baseball 2005 was always my favorite part of that. Is like managing my minor league rosters and and thinking about the future. Um, not always thinking about this year and, you know, like kind of like you do in football. Yeah, totally. Actually, in one league I'm in with Jesse, the Dynasty Guru Expert League, I think it was in like 2014 or 2015, I decided I'm going to sell off all my veterans and just start collecting prospects. And I said to myself, I'm not going to win this league for two or three years. And I was okay with that because I, I think the biggest mistake you can make in a dynasty league is not have a clear direction and just kind of be muddling along. So to me, I like to be aggressive in one way or the other um, because that's the most exciting to me. I don't want to be stuck with a bunch of veterans toward the end of their career and not be in a winning position. If I'm going to have those players, I'm going to be going for it right now. So I, that would be like my first piece of advice in a dynasty league is, is just commit to that direction because it's, it's fun either way. And commit immediately. Commit it the startup draft. There are some people, and this is a very real strategy that is utilized by a lot of people. I know Tom Trudeau utilizes this all the time, and it is basically draft prospects only in the startup draft. Or, you know, I, obviously with the first round pick, you may try to get someone like Juan Soto or Vlad Guerrero Jr. or some, you know, up and coming major league player that is incredibly young to build around and then from there on you basically hit prospects the entire time and basically all hitters too because pitching prospects you know there is no such thing as a pitching prospect right <laughs> especially if you're looking out like a few years you never know what's going to happen with pitching and these hitters will accumulate value and trade value and the big thing though with a strategy like that is you have to be incredibly active. And in general, in Dynasty Leagues, you should be very active. But if that strategy, you have to churn your team quickly. Uh, you know, basically, these prospects are going to be gaining value. You need to sell them for assets that might help you win next year, the year after. Uh, I know that Tom Trudeau, for example, is an incredibly aggressive trader. Oh, so yes. you can make that strategy work very, very well if you're very aggressive. But again, it's not for everyone. And, you know, but yeah, the great thing about Dynasty, especially in a star draft, is it allows all owners to have any kind of strategy they want. But I do think you should have a very clear one with your team in every star draft. Yeah. And, and like you were saying, I think the key is collecting those position players, whether you're starting a brand new Dynasty League or if you commit to that rebuild, just collect hitters. You can get the pitchers when the time is right uh, because pitchers just get injured so much more frequently and also the aging curve with pitchers is different too so if you're if you're collecting prospect pitchers just generally not the best strategy and on the on the flip side of things when you're in that position where maybe you're a year or two away from competing you have to know what to look for to trade among active players too 
So you're looking at relievers, potential closers. You're uh, targeting skills of maybe someone who could be next in line for saves because the the teams that are in, in a contention are always going to need those saves. And you never know what you can flip for that. It can be extremely valuable as well. So that's something we see a lot in the leagues that we play. Uh, if you're aggressive on that, you can certainly do well. Certainly. Uh, and, you know, I think my normal strategy in dynasty leagues in startups is to draft a balanced team. <laughs> Super boring. Uh, I want to win right away. Uh, partly because, right. yes, it's a dynasty league, but dynasty leagues do not necessarily last indefinitely. Uh, yes. A lot of leagues only have a short lifespan because, you know, some owners check out, become disinterested because that's just in every league that happens. Um, regardless, you know, football, baseball, basketball, any single league. You will have an own, a weak link, an owner that decides to drop out. Sometimes it could be multiple. Sometimes you may run into several owners that are just, they keep playing every year, but they're pretty inactive. They don't trade much. Um, and, you know, it can really ruin leagues. And leagues can end after a few years in Dynasty even. So in Dynasty, I don't love going that prospect-heavy route early. Because, you know, you may put all that work in and it might come to nothing because the leaf folds. So yes. I like to, to to build a balanced team focused on winning right now, but have a team that has a good blend of youth and youth players and veterans that can, uh, you know, age gracefully, <laughs> if you will. Um, because for one, I like to think I'm a pretty knowledgeable uh owner and i can find prospects through waivers through free agency i can trade for them later i don't need to get the shiny prospects in a draft because prospect value fluctuates more than anything so i am fine with waiting and you can get so many great prospects on waivers in a lot of dynasty leagues i mean let's see anthony volpe he was a prospect that was on waivers in a lot of leagues entering the year um you know alec manoa may have been on waivers in a lot of leagues entering the year there's just a lot of great prospects that will pop every single year uh, because reports, believe it or not, scouting reports are not infallible and they are often wrong. These are young men that are growing into their bodies. They're learning new things about baseball. They're getting new instruction. Things change rapidly. So for dynasty purposes, when you're starting up, I want something that's established and preferably young, but established um, yeah. so I can win you know, this year, next year, and the year after, and then who knows what's going to happen after that. So win now and worry about later, later. <laughs> yeah. In, so, in those, in those startup drafts, you can get some values on like a, a guy like Nelson Cruz, like, you know, everyone kind of out, out thinks and outsmarts themselves. Like, well, I'm not going to draft Nelson Cruz in a dynasty league, but Hey, if I want to win right now, he's going to hit me 35 home runs this year. Um, yep. Collect, collect me a hundred RBIs that, there, I mean, that's an obvious point made obvious, but you're right about there's prospects that just arrive on the scene too. a top 100 ranking, no matter if it's from baseball, America, baseball perspective, MLB pipeline, who all have great people contributing content and, and listen to scouts, or maybe even they employ scouts. It's not infallible. And especially right now where we didn't have a, a minor league season last year, it feels like there's been bigger swings in the prospect rankings from even this spring to where we are now, like toward the end of the summer. 
and and so there there are values to be gotten in in the prospect ranks as well. Like even guys that have just all of a sudden jumped into the top 100 that yeah, were maybe I, maybe drafted high last year, but we just didn't see them play. I, I mentioned this right, like right before we came on the air. I was talking about Tyler McGill and and mm. the work that he did at the alternate site with the Mets. And you know, I'm a I'm a huge Mets fan. I follow their minor league system, maybe not super intensely, but I know enough. And I barely knew really anything about McGill until I watched him in spring training. I was like, huh, you know, they, they might have something here. So he did that individualized work at the alternate site. And, you know, we got limited information from the alternate sites or none in some cases or very little. Um, so you don't really know the progress that some of these, these players have made. So I think it did add an interesting dynamic to sort of how you value prospects coming into this year, certainly. And, you know, a lot of people will see a prospect on any given week, day, whatnot, and they, that prospect might give that evaluator a very different look than he gave than he gives evaluator a week before, a week after. Because, you know, we That's all have baseball. bad days. <laughs> we all have bad days. You know, pitching prospects, you know, velocity isn't static. It's going to fluctuate. Start yeah. to start, you know, your stuff's going to fluctuate. Mike I mean, Trout I, goes 0 for 4 sometimes with two strikeouts, you know. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, so reports can be skewed toward, obviously, the results they've seen, they see, and, you know, hitters and pitchers, they adjust. And I think one thing we just need to be very mindful of, not just in Dynasty, but in, in all fantasy baseball, is just be prepared to be incredibly flexible because, you know, as in all sports, things change rapidly and you need to rapidly adjust to it. And, you know, I want to just give a shout to James Anderson because I think he's one of the best at rapidly adjusting valuation of prospects to what's happening out there, right? And I think he does a great job. You know, he hit this year on Alec Manoa, on Michael Harris. Um, I just wanted to, to give that plug because he does great work and uh, he's also very supportive, so... Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention about sort of adjusting to things on the fly, one of the reasons I've tried to be really aggressive in, in Dynasty Leagues this year is because of the CBA uh, negotiations upcoming. I don't know what next year is going to be like. I don't know what the season's going to look like, if it's going to start on time. So for me, I think going into next year, the valuation might be even harder. So that's why I was like, I'm going for it right now. I want to win this year because I'm not sure what next year is going to look like. I don't know how you guys are as far as being optimistic about what things are going to look like next year. Um, but I, I just wanted to, you know, put all my chips in this year and see what happens. I think for existing dynasty leagues or for anyone who's in thinking about starting a dynasty league this off season and something to be incredibly mindful of, because there is a very real chance that either there won't be a season, God forbid, I don't think that will happen, but no, I don't, yeah. or, or there will be a stoppage of some sort. You know, there will be yeah. a shortened season or it, it, I just think that there's a risk for that. And if you're starting a league, uh, I started a league, a dynasty expert league uh, with prospects, 365 and Ray Butler in 2019, we drafted in November, October, 2019. Uh, and of course the pandemic happened and yeah. a lot of the value values we had and the valuations we had of these players would have changed dramatically had we drafted in you know July you know July sure. before the sure. season. Um, so if you're going to start a dynasty league, maybe 
delay as much as you can. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, try it never hurts to delay anyway, because more information is good for everybody. You know, yeah. I, everyone loves to draft as soon as possible, draft in January and you know February and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Draft in March. There's really no rush. And especially if you're starting a new dynasty league, you know, make sure your rules are concrete, written out, start your draft in March. When you have more information about where players are landing in free agency, injuries, and of course, a potential work stoppage. Yeah. We are finally so- starting to get like some reports about the negotiations that have started. And apparently like the, the players union submitted a proposal to the, to the ownership groups uh, like four months ago. And not, not surprisingly, their main hangup was that they want the service time system changed. And I don't think they had the leverage to get that done, unfortunately. Like expanded playoffs, I guess, is their big chip that they yeah. hold. And then, like, we didn't hear anything about that report because they submitted this four months ago. And then Ken Rosenthal comes out with a report this week that says, oh, the, the owners or the owners, like, and players union are talking about a salary floor and like a, a lowering the luxury tax cap. And yeah. I mean, it, it like takes me a while to digest all this stuff. Cause I'm just not that smart. And like, you gotta, you gotta think about all angles of like, what, yeah. what are they feeding to Rosenthal? Or what are they feeding to these? And I'm not, yeah, what's the angle. Yeah. Ken Rosenthal is one of the best in the biz. Like I'm not throwing him under the bus, but like what, what's, what are the angles here? And I, I just, in that Rosenthal article, when he noted that the players' union had said, in their initial kind of offer or negotiation with the ownership group that they wanted the service time system changed, I'm like, "There's a work stoppage coming because they have no leverage to get that done." Um, and it's, and I, I just don't know where it goes. I think it's going to be really, really ugly. I mean, the negotiations towards even starting. This season and the season before were really ugly, and I think people forget about that. And that should have been really actually simple math. And yeah. what's what's coming up is not simple math. I think you know, it was uh, Kevin Goldstein or somebody who said it would. He put it at like fifty point one percent chance of a work stoppage, hmm. um, or something like that. I don't know. I don't. I try not to think about these doom and gloom things too much, yeah. other than as you know. DJ point out how it might impact my approach to dynasty this year <laughs> um, yeah. or, or moving forward. I just, uh, you never know what's going to happen really. And uh, you know, I write, I like to be optimistic about baseball in general, even though I tend to be doom and gloom about some things, but not <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What sort of made me a little bit optimistic today and, and otherwise like some kind of depressing news. So like, MLB is ending the exclusive license for trading cards with tops for the first time since 1951. Yeah, what is and that? yeah, so they're going to go to fanatics.com and the MLB PA also agreed on that deal too. So you have MLB and, uh, and the MLB PA actually agreeing on something. So for me, that was like a moment where I, I don't remember the last time they agreed on anything. So maybe you could take some optimism out of that whole situation. I, that, that's way too optimistic. To take optimism to, I mean, that's just about, you know, that's straight yeah. cash, homie. That's an easy contract. Yeah. I also yeah. think it's going to destroy the trading card business, which has yeah. seen a big influx. But 
Yeah, we can, it's, we can talk about that it, on a different really show. Bizarre. Yeah, hopefully we get some more information about that soon. But all right, we're going to get into individual players in a moment, risers and fallers, both prospects and major leaguers in a minute. Um, before we get to that, we have a special offer for our listeners. You can use promo code BASIS10 for 10% off any premium subscription for NBC Sports Edge Plus. can be either monthly or annual and for any tier. It also works across all sports, which is really nice with fantasy football uh, ramping up very soon. Drafts already underway. So remember, it's promo code BASIS10. You can go to NBCSportsEdge.com slash premium to get started. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh, so, Jesse, we asked you to come up with some risers and fallers coming out of this year. Um, you listed a couple of names here. Um uh, so we'll start at the top, which I, I think might be the most surprising, just based off of his his previous major league production, Cedric Mullins with the Orioles. Yes. Yeah, so I think a lot of the people I listed as risers may, for our listeners, be not surprises. <laughs> they will not be as big surprise. But for me, I think Cedric Mullins is a massive, massive riser. Uh, I actually did not even rank him in my top 500 dynasty rankings back in March. Uh, and my update, my first update in April, I, he obviously he entered the rankings, but you know, back in March, he was be likely going to be a fourth outfielder for the Orioles behind, you know, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, uh, Ryan Mountcastle, you know, Trey Mancini, just like there was a, ton of players that were in his way to playing time. Um, and obviously, you know, he had struggled in his brief, you know, experience in the major leagues prior, but, you know, he dropped switch hitting this year, focused exclusively on his lefty swing. And, you know, it's just been, I don't think anyone anticipated this type of production. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I think that once he got a starting role, you know, he had always had a decent field hit, made a decent bit of contact, had some pop, had some speed. Um, it was just about whether he'd find playing time and actually find consistency. Uh, and of course he's found both of those in big ways this year, but against so he's a left-handed hitter now. Uh, he dropped his right, right hand swing altogether. But against lefties this year, his slash is 314, 374, 509. Wow. Against lefties, same sided. Why? Well, it's just wild. Um, you know, that is just crazy production. You know, and I think a lot of it will continue because, you know, he like I said, he does make plenty of contact. His whiff rate's only 19.2%, which is fantastic. Uh, he does chase a ton a bit, which you know I think is something that will maybe cap his ability to hit for average long term. I know he's hitting 314 right now. I don't think that's where he's going to end up falling long term. I think he's more of a 270 to 80 hitter based on his you know plate discipline, which is not the best, and uh, you know the quality of his contact, which you know while he does have some power it's not, you know, massive power and mostly plays to the pool side only. So it's more of like an average to a slightly above average power bat. He does have a loft to swing. And I think he'll get to that power, especially in the AL East with Camden Yards, Yankee Stadium, all these favorable hitting environments for him. So, you know, I do think he's a 2020 player long moving forward. I think that, I believe it. 
more like a 270, 280 hitter, 2020 guy. I don't think, you know, obviously he's hitting 314, 21, 22 right now. Um, I don't expect that type of production long-term, but still, I mean, 280, 2020 is massive value in a Roto yeah. league. And you have to think that his counting production, his counting stats, his runs, RBIs will improve with the Orioles, hopefully having an improved lineup as, you know, they bring up players like Adley Rushman uh, to, to drive him in to say so he can drive in. So, you know, I think this is a legit dynasty asset that is approaching top 50. I think that, yeah. that was a perfect breakdown. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Cause you, you can poke a few holes in him. You know, there's the contact, you know, the, 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 the max exit velocity, um, the hard hit percentage are kind of in the average range. They're not elite range, but for counting stats, for fan, he's not going to be a 315 hitter moving forward, you know. But I mean, and he's probably not going to be a perennial 30 home run threat, but he could be a 2020 guy for several years coming, you know. Yeah. And and he is a really good defender. Um, so and obviously he's going to be in that Orioles lineup anyway because it's not a great lineup. It will improve over the over the coming years, but. I I, re- I really just really like the talent. I like the situation, um, and I don't think this is a fluke. I, maybe it's slightly fluky on the batting average department, like you mentioned, um, but in general, I think this is a fantasy. I don't want to say superstar, but a fantasy star. And I think as we're looking ahead to to next year, the speed gives him a safe floor. Yeah. So even if he's not giving you the the equal value that maybe you drafted him at. And I'm thinking next year you're probably gonna have to get him in the third round, maybe. I mean he's a top ten he's a top ten hitter in fantasy leagues this year. Yeah, I think yep. you definitely may have to. I mean if he ends up he has an outside shot at going 30-30 this yep. year. I mean if he goes 30-30 this year, he's yeah. almost certainly gonna yeah. be a third round pick. He's not getting uh, out of the second I mean he'll end of yeah. second round might, on second yeah. might might be might be as early as second. So but the speed gives him that floor so that even if the batting average drops a little bit, even if the power goes down a little bit, the speed is gonna keep him in at a level where he's going to give you close to what you paid for and that's that's definitely a positive. Um so <laughs> next on your list is two pitchers we know really well but have finally broken through uh fortunately. Yeah, you have Freddie Peralta. And Car- no, it's okay. You have Freddie Peralta and Carlos Rodon. Yeah, of course, you know. Yes, Peralta- I, I missed that question too. I was arguing with <laughs> well, I'm sorry about that. I wasn't I was- sure if I was supposed to say the names there. <laughs> no, my bad. It's all good. Um, I, I was arguing with people on Twitter about Colton Wong and why the Cardinals should have re-signed him. So. <laughs> <laughs> Multitasking. Yeah, um, right. yeah, Peralta and Rodon, you know, for one, they both are a little banged up right now so uh you know that's the other things you know with pitchers in general you gotta ride those highs but you know sometimes they will get injured i mean it happens i mean jacob Degrom, sorry dj you know he's potentially out for the year and you know these things happen you know it's it's yeah you have to be flexible but i really do believe of a lot of what we've seen with carlos rodon and uh you know frey peralta i think I think for both of them are perfect examples of what we're seeing as a trend in modern pitching too, and what mm. how the modern pitching usage is working, and how teams 
no longer really need to have that three pitch, four pitch pitcher. If they have two superb pitches, they can turn through a lineup two, three times. And that's all major league teams need. That's all they need. And that's really all that these two pitchers can do, really. Because uh, Rodon, you know, has always had a fantastic slider. It's always been plus or double plus. This year, his fastball has transformed a bit. You know, he's he's up to averaging 95.8 miles an hour. Uh, his He's gotten more carry on his fastball, too, so it's missing more bats. And really, it's just been the fastball slider. I mean, he does mix in a changeup that's not good. It's not a good changeup. Uh, it has decent separation, but, you know, it tends he doesn't have the best command of it and it does tend to get hit pretty hard doesn't have the best movement profile either uh and it's it's you know a borderline pitch but it really is about the fastball slider and really what you want to look for a lot of times it in a fantasy or dynasty starring pitcher is that one breaking ball that is elite you know because breaking balls generate whiffs almost always (laughs) and if it's an elite breaker like his slider He's going to get tons of whiffs from it. He's averaging 42.6% whiffs on that pitch. He gets tons of strikeouts on that pitch, 54% on that pitch alone. It's his go-to strikeout pitch. But, yeah, the fastball has been just so good this year, too. Uh, The fastball is also missing bats. So with those two pitches, he's become a very legitimate pitcher. Uh, And the fact that he does have a show-me changeup that – you know, he can work in and keep hitters a little bit more off balance does help him. So I'll obviously monitor his health, but, uh, you know, he's a huge riser. He was undrafted in a lot of leagues or a very late round pick, especially if you're drafting later in the off season or, you know, closer to the season when the hype began to build for him because he were like, yeah. okay, he's going to have a rotation spot. We know he's a former, you know, high first round pick has legit slider always has and he was flashing more velocity in the spring, so the hype was building. But, you know, he was a guy who was available on waivers in a lot of leagues. Yeah, a lot for sure. of leagues. And I'm not I'm not so worried about Rodon's health. I think this is more of a phantom IL stint. Because it's not like yeah. he, he missed a starter, came out super early. Like, in his last outing, he went five scoreless innings with 11 strikeouts. Um, yeah, I think that's an important point, Drew. Because even I, I, if you look at Peralta and Rodon, these are two guys that need a break anyway. Yes. Based off the work. Rodon threw seven and two-thirds innings last year. Like, of course, you need to to stop him. And the White Sox want to run deep. The Brewers want to run deep. Yeah. I'd be a little more worried about Peralta because I think he did kind of tweak something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think with Rodon, it's more about, hey, he was feeling (laughs) kind of off on a hot day. Let's throw him on the 10-day aisle and skip a turn or two. Yeah. Um, with Peralta, I, I, I would pay a little more attention to, to what goes because Rodon hasn't even really stopped throwing. Like two yeah. days after he went on the IL, he did a side session. He's already um, going to be back next week, apparently. Yeah, so in that's Toronto. A good sign. Yeah. Yep. But I, I, I would pay attention to the uh, NBC Sports Edge Player News to, for more updates on Freddie Peralta. Yeah, yes, that's a great <laughs> shout. And, you know, it is fantastic. I rely on that a lot, you know, because I am shocked sometimes about how good you all are about getting to this news. Right when I see it on Twitter, it's like on NBC Sports Edge. I'm just like, wow. We may or may not be on Twitter all of the time. So <laughs> that's why I have these like bags under my eyes. <laughs> well, a- another pitcher who you have on your list, Trevor Rogers with the Marlins. 
he actually is is having a break right now, but it's not really something that that was planned in any way. He hasn't pitched since July 31st. It's a personal matter uh, with his family. Uh, but prior to that, he was the NL Rookie of the Year award favorite for sure. Two, four, five ERA over 20 starts. Um, but you know the Marlins aren't contending this year. They were probably going to build in some kind of downtime for him anyway. So uh, there, the important part is there's no physical issue with Rogers. Obviously we hope whatever's going off this family, you know, everything's going to be okay. Uh, we're not really sure the next time he's going to pitch though, but obviously he's been a huge surprise because going into spring training, we weren't really talking about him either. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rogers, you know, he flashed a little bit in his debut last year. Uh, the numbers didn't really speak to it. I know that there were several people, Ray Butler in particular was very high on Trevor Rogers entering the year. Um, in the spring, he was flashing, you know, even improved velocity, which he has shown and, and held for most of the year this year, uh, where he's basically sitting close to 95 miles an hour with his fastball. Uh, the big thing with Rogers is, you know, his changeup is so good. And the Marlins organization is so good at developing changeups. And, you know, all of their pitchers have fantastic changeups. And that's why, you know, if you're just a sidetrack briefly for, for dynasty purposes for prospects if you want to bet on pitching prospects bet on marlin's pitching prospects especially those that already have a breaking ball and fastball someone like jake eater right yep. who is a breaking ball fastball pitcher i mean there's a very good reasonable chance that that changeup is going to become better than average better than borderline which is where it roughly is right now um someone like yuri perez who i absolutely right. adore and i've been on big time all year long um you know he already is flashing a good change up and he's 18 years 18, old and just yeah. imagine how good that's going to be when yeah. he's you know up in the upper minors about to hit the majors in a couple years um but back to trevor rogers i saw trevor rogers when he pitched for, for greensboro way back in low a uh, shortly after the draft um i guess it would have been a year after a draft and back then, you know, he actually he was still had pretty good velocity. He was about, you know, average about 93 miles an hour, but the changeup was very rough, very rough. And he had, you know, he still had the weakish slider that he throws now. Um, it looked more like a curve back then, but, uh, you know, it just didn't really scream a big league pitcher to me when I saw him because, you know, the off secondaries just were not great. But the development of his changeup has really transformed him. And his changeup has excellent separation, uh, you know, almost 10 mile an hour separation, which is wild vertical drop, 36 inches of vertical drop. It's just crazy. And, you know, that's what you often want to look for with a successful changeup is vertical drop, because vertical drop is more likely to miss a bat than horizontal movement. Um, so, you know, Trevor Rogers, I'm, I believe in him long-term. The big problem with him is that slider is still a problem mm -hmm. and it never has been very good. And it's still borderline. Um, you know, the one saving grace for it is it does miss bats a decent bit. Um, but it's just, the velocity is not great. I wish he threw it harder. Honestly, I wish it was, um, you know, a mid to upper, like if it was around 86 miles an hour and had, you know, maybe a little less vertical movement, I think it would be more successful because right now it's just, you know, these types of pitches that are around like 82, low eighties with like 35, 36 vertical and no horizontal movement, just don't find success in the majors. They just sure. don't. And um, I don't think that he will unless it changes with that pitch mm. in particular. But I do still love him long term because the fastball changeup duo is so good.
Interesting. And yeah, I, that's a good, that's a good word about the Marlins. It, you know, if you want to bet on a young pitcher, young prospect pitcher, that's a pretty good place to land. And, you know, Jesus Lazardo going from the A's to the Marlins at the trade deadline. I mean, the A's are happy with Starling Marte. He's been insane. Uh, and especially with Ramon Laureano suspended. Um, that's big. That was a big pickup, but you know, we'll, we'll see what Lazardo can do because, you know, a year and a half ago, he was probably one of the most anticipated prospect pitchers coming up through the majors. So. And I had a lot of shares of Luzara, still do. And it's uh, it's been frustrating. I think that, you know, one thing I've taken more to heart this year is fastball shape. Because um, I think that's something that we really need to pay close attention to with pitching prospects and pitchers in general. And Luzardo has terrible fastball shape. It's just sure. terrible. It's more likely to run into bats than than most fastballs because the vertical and horizontal movement are very close together. Um, mm. Usually you want to have massive separation between the two because especially if it's more vertical, a lot more vertical movement, a little horizontal movement, it may not seem, it may like, I guess, intuitively seem like it might be straighter, but it misses more bats because hitters are used to fastballs running a little. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and I, Kevin Goldstein, again, mentioned him, he has a fantastic, article over on fan graphs about pitch movement and um you should go check that out because that's fantastic um but yeah luzardo has the ingredients to be fantastic because the his breaker has flashed very you know very good extreme movement and his changeups also been you know flashed very successful movement but you know, it'll be interesting to see how that organization can you know tweak his tweak him to make him actually find success because I am very concerned with Luzardo. He needs yeah. he needs a gap year. A buster pose <laughs> gap year. Yeah, right? <laughs> like we all do. <laughs> well, one pitcher I, I want to ask you about because he's kind of flashed up and down and I, I, maybe I'm surprising you with this. Uh, Tarek Skubal with the Tigers. Mm. Um, I've noticed his four-seamer gets hit really, really hard. He's given up a lot of home runs this year. But there's been times he's gone out and dominated too. His control has been a lot better over the past two months. I I really like him, but there are starts being it's really hit really hard with that four seamer. So I, I'm interested to see how he adjusts with the pitch mix too. Yeah, you know, I know that there's a lot of people that are very high on scooball. Uh Jake Devereaux is incredibly high, a former co-host of mine at Five Tool uh fantasy podcast. Um very, very high on him. I am a little bit more trepidation. I'm not super into him. I think that he has a perfectly fine slider. I think it's above average slider. I think he has the ingredients with his fastball for it to be very successful um, because he, the way he delivers it does create some de deception. It comes up, yeah. up on hitters really fast. He can hit the upper nineties. I mean, right now the average is about 94, but you know, I think that there's a chance he ends up averaging more like 95, uh, I think that he can develop into a very good pitcher, but he doesn't really have that slider is not like an elite pitch and his other breaking balls his that he's been experimenting with all year. He's, uh, I guess stack has him credit for throwing a, well, this the cutter is incorrect. So again, don't believe everything stack has to say because they're registering his cutter, him as throwing as a cutter, a cutter, but those are totally forcing fastballs. Um, but he's thrown, he has thrown a splitter this year. He's thrown a curveball. Neither have been, you know, great successes. I mean, the splitter is very, very new, though. And he does have Casey Mize as a teammate. Yeah. So there's a chance. Um, 
I just wonder about what type of upside he'll have without that, you know, big secondary to carry him. Because if he is relying basically primarily on a fastball to carry him, which is probably right. his best pitch, I just don't know if, if his fastball is really that good enough to, to really right. make him take him to that next level. That right. is a good point on pitch mix and looking at stat cast data or fan graphs data. Like it's not always identified correctly. What exactly those pitches are, yep. which is kind of a cool thing in this, in this analytics area where there is a human element. You actually have to watch exactly what the guy is doing um, and what the readings are coming up. I, I have to jump in before we, we, we let you go. Um, Let's talk about Jordan Walker, who ah oh, yes, John, as a Cardinals fan, and if, if any of my Cardinals fan homeboys are, are listening to this episode, I I'm really excited for him. I was talking to Will Leach a, a few weeks ago, and he already bought his son a Jordan Walker jersey because <laughs> <laughs> they they live in the Georgia area now, and I I think Jordan Walker's from that like yep. out, just outside of Atlanta, um, and he just jumped into MLB pipelines top 100 at like number 62 which is a pretty quick ascent for a guy of his age so what can you tell me about him beyond what i can read on baseball reference well (laughs) uh, baseball prospectus the prospect team has always been very high on him they actually ranked him in the top 101 entering the season before the season even began Um, they were higher on him than i was from a fantasy and i'm like do my stuff for you know dynasty for fantasy and um they just had a different read, I think, and more confidence in his hit tool than I did at that time. And I know that the big issue with Walker entering the draft and even following the draft was questions about his hit tool because he's a big guy. You know, he's yeah. six foot five. Uh, he had kind of a mixed spring, pre-draft spring, where there was a lot of swing and miss. And, you know, for players with that type of frame, that's always going to be concerned. Um, you know, swing and miss, he had issues recognizing spin. There was just a lot of little problems that caused him to slide, you know, because there was a time where he was even thought to be a potential top 10 pick. Um, obviously, if I think if the draft was done again, he would totally be a top 10 pick at this point. Um, but I think that, you know, the BP midseason top 50 um, for real life moved him all the way up to ninth overall. <laughs> ninth overall. Um, <laughs> They're very high on him. I'm very high on him. I'm actually going to be moving him up to 13th overall in my uh, updated top 500 dynasty prospects list, which will be coming out on baseball prospectus tomorrow, or I guess today, whenever this gets released, it'll be on Friday. Um, And, you know, the big thing with Walker is I really do believe in his hit tool. Now I believe that this is a potential average to above average hit tool. Uh, I think that he makes his bats of ball ability is remarkable uh, for a player of his size. And he's made massive gains in play discipline and pitch recognition. Uh, You know, obviously he's thriving now in high a at 19 years old. Um, He just obliterated low a he had a, and the great thing is that he played at uh, Palm beach, right. Is in the low a Southeast, but a lot of talent, right? Yeah. They had a lot of talent, but they also had a sack house facility there because it was one of the spring mm-hmm. training facilities. So what we've been able to do all year long is access stack house data for the low A south, south southeast parks wow. um, for most of them. So we've been able to see a lot of his stack house data, and it's just been wild. I mean, he just has a wild power. Uh, I think he had one uh, max exit velocity of 117 miles an hour 
uh, earlier in the year. Um, the big <laughs> thing, imagine the thing is with Walker is he's, he hasn't really figured out lifting the ball fully yet. You know, he still has a pretty um, flat swing for a player, a big power hitter like he is. So once he does figure out how to lift the ball more, if that, you know, launch angle jumps to like 15 degrees and up, there could be just a massive power explosion because he has huge power. Uh, he hits, put, puts a lot of those, you know, 100 plus mile an hour balls into the ground, unfortunately, right now. Um, but he's still hitting like 330 right now on the gear um, with very reasonable swing and miss. It's just been really, really remarkable season for him. And I think that the thing is with him, I really, I hate, I hate to go out on this limb, but I think he's the type of player that may develop in at peak into into one of the preeminent sluggers in the majors someone like an Aaron Judge like uh Joey Gallo I'm not going to compare him to Giancarlo <laughs> Stanton cuz no one compares to him but I think he could be that I think he could have something like 70 game power at peak and have like 80 raw I think that that's what could happen because he's still growing into his athletic 65 frame 65 and yeah. I just think that this guy could really explode. Um, and yeah. yeah, huge, huge Jordan Walker fan. I think that by the time we're talking about this before next season, I think that you know, you're going to see him in the top 10 of a lot, a lot less. Do you think he plays corner outfield long first base long-term? What, I mean, he's playing third base now. And I guess what I've read is that he's not bad there. But you would think with that frame and you want him to kind of fill out um, right. that he would not actually be a, a major league third baseman. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of those things that I wouldn't concern myself with too much right. even as a real-life yeah. fan right, th- right now because there's a long journey ahead of him still. Yes. And, you know, Nolan Arenado is over there at third base right now. And uh, uh, they're actually putting, you know, Nolan Gorman is playing a lot of second base. Second base, right base now. yeah. Uh, he's playing it more and more and more at AAA. Uh, beginning of the year, he got eased into it, but now it's basically his focus. So I think there's a real chance we're going to see Gorman at second base. DJ, and- you can just sign off at this point. I'll, I'll just finish up the <laughs> <laughs> The Jordan Walker podcast. <laughs> Nolan Gorman. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks. But I think, yeah, one thing we just need to be mindful with Walker is there will be swing and miss in his game just because of his size. And, you know, he yeah. is going to be yeah. a power hitter. I don't think that he's going to be a guy who will ever really be a 300 hitter by any means. But, you yeah. know, I think he would be a two, potentially be like a 270 hitter at peak with 35 home, home runs, four, 40 maybe. Um, that right. type of player, I think, and even maybe a handful of steals, depending upon how his athleticism holds, because he is, like I said, a pretty good athlete for, you know, his size. Uh, and, you know, I I do think there's a risk that he moves off third base, but I just think his bat will just destroy no matter where he plays. Yeah, you're probably so right. Two... It's not even worth talking about his position at this point. Yeah. <laughs> We he'll hit. To, right? He'll hit. So he'll wind up somewhere. We know that. Yeah. <laughs> I think for dynasty uh, and fantasy purposes, it won't matter. Right. Yeah. Totally. And there'll be the DH in the National League coming too. That's true. Keep that's that true. in mind. That or at least we true. think so. No, it, think so. it's definitely happened. I can't imagine <laughs> so, it won't happen. Yeah. So the two Yankees prospect. I think we've heard. I mean, you know, Jason Dominguez. Yes, obviously. But Peraza and it's it's Volpe. Volpe, right? Volpe. Volpe, 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 Anthony Volpe, who was the Yankees' first-round pick a couple of years ago, right? Yeah. Um, late, and late I think round. at the time they took a little bit of heat for that, but he's turned out to be a stud. 
Yeah, you know, I actually, I was just thinking about it today, and I got, I have very real, like, Gavin Lux feels with him, because Gavin Lux was a late first-rounder for the Dodgers when in his draft year with, you know, he wasn't considered to be a big power hitter or, like, sort of a suspect defender. Um, Lux was actually considered, I think, a potential better hitter than what Volpe was when he was drafted. I mean, Volpe, for a lot of people, was, like, a... 40 grade power type like just not a lot of power there like maybe hits double digit home runs at peak maybe um but it was really about like that he could give you good contact skills uh get enough power to be respectable not get the bat knocked out of his hands and play decent defense you know basically not a flashy guy a lot of the yankees the yankees haven't really been taking a lot of big flashy names in the draft lately but you know he's obviously exploded uh another low a southeast player got to play for tampa tampa um in low a so we have a lot of his stack has data from low a and you know obviously doesn't have jordan walker power um but i think that the power grades are very wrong on him now they're very old reports now because i think that he certainly has i think he will develop average raw power um again not going to be the flashiest uh you know he hit the ball the cover off the ball in low a i mean it's hard not to think he did because of his his stats in low a were just mind-boggling crazy um his splits were not great in low a and that's one thing we need to think remember because tampa his home ballpark was one of the more favorable hitting parks in all of minor league baseball this year and a lot of those low a tampa new york yankee players have hit a lot better at home and he was one of them but then he went up to high a hudson valley and he just has obliterated he's just continuing to hit the cover off the ball i think it's really eased the concerns i had uh, about his bat and about how much that power was a product of low a southeast in tampa rather than like i think it's more legit i think that he's going to be a guy who gets average raw and hit for more game power. He's going to be one of those players because he has a lofted swing. His average launch angle in low A Southeast was about 18 degrees. Uh, so yeah. he puts the ball in the air and he makes contact. He's a smart hitter. Um, he's. I think we're going to see a lot of people put plus grades on his hit tool now. The more and more we're going to see more reports coming out, I think we're going to see that because he makes tons of contact. He He's just a fantastic hitter. Great bat-to-ball ability. You know, great plate discipline. Uh, I think that they're, the upside is not quite as high as, you know, his line maybe indicates. I think he can be a potential plus hitter with average to slightly above game. So he could be a guy who gets you 20 to 25 home runs at peak um, with, you know, a good average and some speed. You know, he has 27 stolen bases this year, but he doesn't, he's not like a burner. You know, he's, yeah. uh, I, I just want to stress right now, Low A stolen base numbers are bogus. Do not trust yeah, them like yeah, at yeah. all. Put like zero yeah. faith in them. Zero. Right. I mean, Edward Edward Julian is like a stolen base king down there, and he's a, he's below average. I personally saw Heriberto Hernandez steal a bunch of bases in Low A for <laughs> uh, Charleston, and that guy is not fast. <laughs> right, he is not fast. So we're gonna see you see just all kinds of stolen bases. But he, I do think Volpe will have enough speed. To not be a zero, I think he'll be a double double digit pr- producer there. Um, but yeah, I do believe in the bat f- a bunch, and he's a massive mover. The biggest yeah. question for me is, do I prefer him or Oswald Peraza more? Right. Um, <laughs> and I think we're going to see a lot more hype for Volpe because obviously his his numbers are 
crazy. And he has the pedigree, the first round pedigree. Uh, but Peraza is, has had an equally impressive year, a level ahead of Volpe. He's been playing, he's played in high to start at Hudson Valley and destroyed it, has really performed incredibly well in double A, which is one of the most difficult transitions for prospects to make, for hitting prospects in particular. Yeah. Um, in Somerset, he's just been fantastic. And he's really been on a burner this recently, too. Uh, and he legit has plus speed. So I think that the stolen bases are more real for him. I think he has 27 this year as well. I think he's going to be a 20-plus guy. I think that's which, safer. Which one actually is going to end up playing shortstop, I think? Man, that is tough. I think Peraza will, personally. Uh, he'll be there first. I, yeah. I think he'll arrive first. And I think he has a – from all the reports I've read, you know, I'm not a guy – I don't judge defense too much. I'm not going to be – not going to profess to be a scout or expert on defense, but the, from the reports I've read, you know, Peraza is the superior defensive player, although Volpe's fine. Um, I think that Peraza will probably be the shortstop of the future there. Um, but Volpe, you know, I think he'll play. I think he'll, he definitely has a role there. And the thing is, is they may trade, they may get, you know, they may get traded. We just saw the Yankees trade, you know, half their right. farm system at the break. So there's no guarantee they're going to be New York Yankees once they reach the majors. But, you know, I really do believe in both of these guys. And I think both of them are easy top 50 prospects. So this is actually a good segue into the fallers here. So you had Glaber Torres. I think we can agree with that. Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, Francisco Lindor, Adalberto Mondesi. I, I think we can all agree that, that that's the case. But I do think it's very strange what's happened with Gleyber Torres. I mean, granted, you know, a lot of that 2019 season we had, we saw was against the Orioles. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, this is someone over the past two years, he has a 692 OPS over his last 141 games, uh, dating back to the start of last season. He was actually on a decent run prior to hitting the injured list recently. And he's still pretty young, but I I don't know what happened there. Yeah, it's it's pretty bizarre because it's not like he's without power. I mean, there is some raw there. There's raw there. There's above average raw power in his bat, and he has a pretty good good you know play discipline. He doesn't chase a ton. His chase rate's only twenty three percent this year. Uh, you know, he makes plenty of contact. Uh, it's just. I think a lot of it is mental. Um, you know, baseball is a mental game. Uh, you know, he isn't the best defender either. So I think that there's a very real risk for dynasty purposes that we may see a really massive drop in value if if he continues to struggle offensively and then Peraza or you know is ar arriving and they push him to second base. They push you know Torres over to second base and then all of a sudden you know he's fighting for playing time with other more, you know, bat first players. And then he could get squeezed out eventually. I think that that's a, a real risk at this point for Glaber Torres, uh, but is really strange. You know, he's just, is a bizarre one. Honestly, I, I have a hard really player to evaluate. Like we, we do every spring. It's really hard to, to place him in, you know, redraft rankings even. Because oh, yeah. you you want to believe in the raw power because most of like the advanced metrics back it up and and the situation at Yankee Stadium and the lineup spot that he could potentially put himself into it makes sense but I don't know he's going to be a really hard player to evaluate this coming off season and moving forward especially with the the rise of these middle infield prospects that we've been talking about 
I mean, and this year in particular, his big problem has been fastballs. He's been terrible against yeah, fastballs. Yeah, that's a bad sign. That's a bad sign. Uh, I agree. It's at least according to, you know, he has, I think, had a little bit of bad luck on them. But still, you know, we're not seeing power. You know, he has only six home runs this year. Uh, we're not seeing actual game power. He has flashes. He flashes the power that he, you know, had in 2019. Uh, but he's just not consistent at all right now. And, you know, consistency is such a big thing in baseball uh, and, and in fantasy baseball, for sure. You know, you want that consistent force in your lineup. You don't want just this guy who will have like a hot week and then be empty and absent for, you know, a few weeks at a time. Um, unless it's like Alberto Mondesi and that hot week includes like 10 <laughs> <small> bases. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's he's a tough one, a tough evaluation. Um there, the raw ability is there for a rebound, but there's a lot of risk at this point. Yeah. And speaking of, we're going to bounce over to the prospect faller side. I think maybe the most confusing prospect right now is Mackenzie Gore. Uh, there was a report today that he's going to the Padres ACL affiliate uh, to get back in some game action. And that's actually the first time he'll be doing that in, in like two months. Um he had a 5.85 ERA in six starts, had a bit of a blister issue, but I think the bigger issue there is is getting his mechanics straight, which had kind of been off for him since the alternate site last year. Yeah, his mechanics have been just out of whack. They've been a mess. His command has been way off because of that in part. And, you know, I, it's really hard. He has, you know, very complex mechanics. Uh, you know, everyone oohed and odd about it because he could, you know, he had the uh, the wild, you know, leg kick, uh, big leg kick, big athletic leg kick. And uh, it worked for him in a lot of ways. You know, he had the stuff, but it also had a lot of deception, uh, kept hitters off balance. And, and he was able to command and do it consistently. And that's why he was, you know, the top pitching prospect in baseball, because he had that athleticism, that command. But, you know, the command just has gone out the window. I mean, I don't even want to put a grade on what it might be right now. It's really low. Um, I think there's certainly upside because we've shown it before, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, if you're evaluating a player, a pitcher or whatnot, you see something flash and that could be the future. That could be the, what he, that pitcher could be, right? If he flashes yeah. at once, they, there's a chance that he could do it more and more and more and more. And that could be what they could be in the future. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a chance we could see him really rebound, but he's super risky right now. And from a dynasty perspective, you know, that risk has to be weighed. I mean, there's certainly upside here, but, uh, you know, his trade value is probably in the tank. And I mean, I don't rank using trade value at all, uh, but, you know, for trade value purposes, I can't imagine you could trade Mackenzie Gore even for maybe a top 100 prospect right now, unfortunately, in a lot of leagues, which is just wild to think about. Um, But I can't, I mean, I'm, it's it's a rough road. I think for now, if you own Mackenzie Gore, you have. I think you just kind of have to hold him unless you're in a really shallow league and there are just you know top 100 prospects on on waivers or free agency. Um, you kind of hold and you know wait for his value to rebound because you know he may arrive back at the at you know the ACL and you know have his stuff back together. I mean, yeah. it, things like this happen really really fast, so he could really see massive improvement but right now you've got to fade him hard uh in all dynasty in my mind pitching prospects man 
There is yeah. no such thing. Right? Give us give us uh, four quick words on Grayson Rodriguez. Oh man, four quick words. Four words, quick. <laughs> Big fastball, three secondaries. That there was you go. really good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we do have to wrap it up here in a second, but Jesse, uh, we want to thank you again so much for coming on the Dude, show. I, I could do this for three hours. That I love amazing. it, man. I it could talk amazing. this forever. Thanks, <laughs> so, thanks for having me. Anytime. Yeah, of course. If there's anything you want to plug, you know, the floor is yours. Uh, obviously, you can find my work at Baseball Perspectives. Uh, I do weekly articles, uh, bi-weekly, or not bi-weekly. It doesn't happen twice a week. Every other week, I'll have rankings, uh, either prospect or dynasty rankings, through the end of the season. Uh, next, I guess, Friday, uh, August 20th, we'll be releasing our updated top 500 dynasty prospects at Baseball Perspectives. I also do the Twitter thing, and you can see me at Twitter at ja. R-O-C-H-E-6, uh, J-A Roach 6 is my Twitter handle. And I do a lot of prospect uh, reports over there on Twitter, and um, I'll do other things. I, I like to do a lot of pitch tracking. I've been doing that a lot this year, looking at the low A stack ass stuff and doing a lot of uh, video scouting, basically, uh, watching games that have actual uh, velocity recordings on the actual live broadcast. So I've gone to a handful of games, but it's just been so difficult this year, of, of, in particular, trying to yeah. even get out to the field. Uh, right. The local team, Charleston, I try to get a lot of insult to as much of those games and batting practices as I can. Um, I recently saw Taj Bradley uh, a few weeks ago before he got promoted to high A. Man, he is electric. He was he's gonna be good. Um, right. and you'll see him fly up prospect rankings. I can imagine he should be a top one hundred prospect, I think, soon. Wow, um, awesome. It's some maybe maybe before next year, but probably at some point next year because he's electric. Cool. Well, I'm sure I'll talk to you soon, Jesse, probably probably with more trade conversations. So <laughs> probably <laughs> and there there is a market to being like a, a pitch video guy on Twitter too. It's yeah, like, that's true. There's yeah. some fantastic ones out there. They sure. are. Mm -hmm. They do a great job. It just it yeah. seems like it seems to be flourishing. Yeah, Trevor oh, yeah. Huth is one of them. I, I know he does a lot of really good work with it. Trevor does great work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Jesse. Really appreciate it. And if you like what you're hearing with this show, Circling the Bases, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review if you don't mind. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short. Drew is at Drew Silve. Be safe out there, and we will see you next time. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.